The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Could be the final play of the game. Ball on the three, fourth down. Robinson, end zone, broken up. Iowa wins. 24-16. B.J. Lowry breaks up the pass intended for Roy Roundtree. Four cracks at it from the three, and Michigan can't get in. Iowa wins. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. We have two reporters' notebook segments in this podcast, featuring Mark Morehouse, who previews Iowa's upcoming game against the Michigan State Spartans, and Susan Dank, who looks back at the Hawks' upset of Michigan. You'll also hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Michigan State's Mark D'Antonio. The show also features a Zebra Talk segment with Rob Patchett, discussing some of the key calls made by the officials in last Saturday's game. This Hawkeyes Mike program is one in a series of our three weekly podcasts this year, which include regulars Brent Balbinat and Marv Cook, as well as numerous guest commentators and reporters. The Iowa-Michigan game highlights are courtesy of ESPN with announcers Dave Pash and Chris Spielman. A nice job calling this contest. We very much appreciate it and thank them. And that's all I have to say about that. Iowa blitzing on third down and ten. It's picked up. Robinson in trouble and he lost the ball recovered by the Hawkeyes Tyler Nielsen comes up with a fumble recovery a terrible mistake by Robinson why not just take the sack here well because you're Denard Robinson and right there the mistake is trying to brace himself with the ball in his hands and Nielsen not giving up on the play missing a sack opportunity getting off the ground and recovering. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and choose not to get sick. Remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. To make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com, call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts. Time now for part one of our reporter's notebook with Susan Dank. You can read Susan's articles in the Hawkeye and online at thehawkeye.com. Susan looks back at the Michigan game. Susan, talking about the peaks and valleys of major college football, that's certainly what Iowa has experienced the last couple of weeks. Absolutely. I was just here shocked last week with how they came out and played after that very horrible loss up at Minnesota, but they really came out and, and showed that they put that behind them, and, and they were going to prove all these people wrong, including me. I didn't think they were going to win last week, you know, after, after what I had seen from them. You know, but they came out, their defense was great, especially that, that last series at the end there, and their offense did what it needed to do. What surprised you most about that game? Oh, I think just the, the strength of the defense, and, um, you know, the, they limited Denard Robinson, because I really thought, you know, another, another mobile quarterback, that had really been the issue that they've had all season long. But they were at home, and they showed up to play, and they really, you know, 
they let him do some things, you know, especially there at the end. I think they started at their four-yard line, and you know they drove all the way down the field and had a chance there at the end. So they bent a little bit, but when it really came down to it, they really held up and, and played strong and didn't let Denard do what he normally does. Yeah, overall, especially given the opposition, was this the best performance this year by the defense? No, I definitely think so, yeah. Um, yeah, the way not only with Denard, but, you know, the running game and everything, they really showed up to play, and they really, I think we're just sick of hearing about all the struggles they were having and that they weren't really... You may be living up to some of the defenses of, of the past. A couple of huge plays at the end of the first half and then at the end of regulation. Oh, absolutely. And at the end of regulation there, I was down on the field for that. We thought there was no way they were going to be driving all the way from the four-yard line. You know, so we went down to the field at the end and we're standing down on that sideline. And, and it was just amazing at the end there. You know, Every pass you thought, oh, this is it. They're going to score and this whole thing's going to be over. We're going into overtime. And those plays, you know, and I, I didn't have a, a great look at the um, the catch by Junior Hemingway or the not catch by Junior Hemingway in the, in the back of the end zone. I did see the uh, B.J. Lowry break up there at the end on that last play, and it was just great defense and just not letting them score. Yeah, there was some second guessing about Iowa staying in its base defense on that last drive until they got to the three-yard line, and then they put extra defensive backs in. They did. You know, they did a lot of blitzing, and, and you know, that was a big tough conversation after the game, and, you know, was everyone surprised that they were blitzing, and, you know, everyone was all the players are just saying, you know, we just do what they told us to do. And I, I think they really enjoyed enjoyed doing that and trying to get to uh, Denard and kind of shake him up a bit. And containment, as you indicated, has been a problem all year. They really did a great job, I thought, against Robinson. Oh, absolutely. I was trying to, I don't have my stats right in front of me, but I know, you know, he didn't go crazy and he didn't run for, you know, the hundreds of yards that he can easily do against opponents. You know, that final drive, he finally kind of got going a little bit again, you know, after he'd been knocked out of the game um, for the second straight year against Iowa. And then he kind of came back and looked a little more like the uh, Denard Robinson we were kind of expecting. But they were just really focused on him, and they were not going to let him run away with the game. Yeah, in the first half, they held him to 10 yards, and I have to believe that's got to be his lowest total in one half all year long. Oh, it's got to be. That was just crazy. Turning to the uh, offense, Really, Iowa pretty much established what it was going to do in its first drive of the game, marched right down the field, balanced a heavy dose of Marcus Coker. Yeah, once again, you know, Coker, second straight, really strong game, you know, 132 yards, 29 carries. It's amazing that he's still walking around after the last couple of weeks. But yeah, you know, he did a great job. And of course, you know, James Vandenberg and Marvin McNutt, and they were just showing you know, what they could do and what they had been doing, you know, up until... Sort of conflicting stats here, but really not very good on third down conversions again last week, only four of 12, but better again in the red zone where they were three of three. Right, and you know, obviously the red zone is, is what you need. You know, you want when you're down there, you can't just come away with nothing. You need to get points, whether it's seven or you know, three, whatever it may be. Another interesting thing is, in spite of the two clunker games offensively at Penn State and at Minnesota, Vandenberg, Coker, and McNutt continue their climbs up the record books and in the national stats as well this season. Oh, it's just amazing watching them. You know, and you coming in what McNutt had to offer. I mean, you've seen that in the past. Um, Coker, you saw it in the bowl game in the inside bowl last December, but then you didn't really know what he was going to do, you know, being a young player who 
had been injured and, and you, you just weren't really sure, but he's just been amazing, especially what he did at Minnesota and then the 132 yards against Michigan. And, you know, Vandenberg, too, you know, the, the coaches always said they had a lot of faith in him and confidence in him, but he had very limited time. So it was, it's interesting to, to watch him mature and grow as the season goes along. Back to a balanced approach on offense. It looks like the hurry up's been safely tucked away in bed for the time being. Uh, apparently so. You know, Ferris uh, talked about that the other day, and he, he continues to talk about trying to find his backup for Coker. Um, he did admit this past Tuesday that it's been his hang-up not getting, you know, McCall or somebody else in there, and he just is going to have to be the one to maybe maybe get a little push from somebody and finally say, okay, let's take Marcus out and get somebody else in there and, you know, give Marcus a little bit of a break and, and see what somebody else can do. If I were going to pull out what I think are the most fascinating stats in this Iowa-Michigan series in the recent years, the turnover stats in the last three games in this series, Michigan came into the Iowa game this year with a plus-six turnover margin, got no turnovers on Saturday, Iowa, of course, got the two big turnovers against the Wolverines, and that gives the Hawkeyes a whopping plus 10 turnover margin in the last three games against Michigan. Wow, that's amazing. I hadn't realized how that, that, that's what that was. They just, you know, it, it's Michigan. It's a, it's a big school. It's a big program. And, you know, it, it's a big rivalry. And I think they really come in wanting to, to prove what they can do. And I find it amazing that this is the first time in the history of the series that Iowa has won three straight. But you can understand why when you look at that turnover, Mark. Any other thoughts? Now I'm really looking forward to this week. You know, very different team, but at the same time, you know, ranked 13th, just like Michigan was coming into Kinnick. Um, it's senior day, so of course the intensity is going to be just that much higher. You know, this final game at home for all these seniors. You know, and, and just like with Michigan, you know, Iowa has a chance to win three straight in the series. So it's going to be another tough challenge. Um, a great quarterback, a good running back, you know, receivers. So I'm interested to see what they're going to do this week on the heels of the big win over Michigan. I don't know how you say Miz for a mister, because it's just mister, but if there was a Miz, mister, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Miz as well. 11th play of this drive coming up. It's third down and three for the Hawkeyes. It'll be Coker running right, and he's got the first down and the touchdown. Second touchdown today for Marcus Coker, his 12th of the season. Sealing the edges. The kick out by Rodgers. Coker quietly but effectively into the end zone. There were a handful of calls made by the officials in the Iowa-Michigan game that were confusing or controversial. Rob Patchett talks about those in the segment we call Zebra Talk. Hey, Hawkeye fans. So there were a whole bunch of weird and confusing things that happened during the Michigan game last weekend. I was going to just talk about a few of them real quick. The first one was the Iowa 4th and 1 on the Michigan 43-yard line, with Iowa wanting to do a quick snap to attempt the quarterback sneak and get the first down. But the head referee held up the umpire for moving off the ball, which basically allowed the Michigan defense more time to get set up. The only thing I can think of there is that there's a rule that states that if the offensive team is substituting, they are prohibited from rushing quickly to the line of scrimmage to quick snap the ball. And then if that's happening, the officials aren't supposed to let the ball be snapped until the defense's subs are then in position. I didn't notice it, but my only guess is that maybe Iowa had someone being replaced or trying to be sub for, like a wide receiver, 
after the previous play had ended for some reason. Another issue was the Iowa Center for Rents being called for an illegal snap. Basically, when an official says that, the official is saying that the center lifted or moved the ball before the backward motion of the snap began. I didn't see that happen. All I saw was the center move himself illegally by slightly rocking backward and then forward again, I think, which I think could have basically been called a false start instead of an illegal snap. Uh, another big one was the Michigan running back not being whistled down and being allowed to keep running when replay showed that his elbow was clearly touching the ground. That was a big scary moment. The basic football officiating philosophy behind blowing the whistle to signal a runner is down or not is simply to not blow the whistle if you're not 100% certain the runner was down. So in my mind, that simply means the covering official didn't see the Michigan runner's elbow down when he was on top of the Iowa defender, regardless of the fact that he was pretty close to it. The last one is the probably the biggest one, the big touchdown or no touchdown catch right before the end of the game by Michigan. There are a couple of rules that speak specifically to that kind of a situation. One says that a receiver must maintain control of the ball while going to the ground in the process of completing a catch. The other rule that's even more specifically poignant to this kind of situation says that if a ball is firmly in a receiver's hands and part of the uncovered ball touches the ground, that the receiver must maintain, quote, firm control of the ball, unquote, and that it cannot move during the action of the ball touching the ground. And then you go, of course, to the replay, it went to replay review, and the replay rules say that to reverse an on-field ruling, the replay official must be convinced beyond all doubt by indisputable video evidence through the video angles that provided that something to the contrary of the on-field call happened. And the fact that the head referee said after further review, the ruling on the field stands means that it wasn't necessarily confirmed, but there wasn't that indisputable video evidence to overturn the call. And I think when you look at the two angles that were really popular, one from the west and then one from the east, and then there's actually a picture from the north end zone from beyond the end line that show that he sort of had it pinned but sticking out the bottom of his hands and it probably wasn't moving, but that when he hit the ground, the officials are basically saying and that the replay is showing that the ball moved a little bit when the ball hit the ground, the part of the ball that wasn't being held in the receiver's hands. So there you go. That's all I got for you. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ooh, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Time now to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who talks about the challenges Michigan State poses. They're a little bit like uh, the challenge last week, you know, very different in terms of schemes offensively and defensively, uh, but they're, they're alike in that, you know, they both have an identity, they have an approach, and they, they really do a great job uh, uh, within their approach. So, you know, they got a bunch of good players on all phases, and they're very, very well coached, and they play well, and uh, yeah, he beat the team that we just beat by a couple touchdowns, you know, uh, earlier. So that just gives you an idea of uh, the level of difficulty here. Also had a uh, you know very dramatic win against Wisconsin, an excellent Wisconsin team. So yeah, it's going to be a big challenge for us. Ferentz was asked about the importance of fullback Brad Rogers. 
It's uh, great to have Brad get back just for, you know, for obvious reasons, uh, to get him on the field and back with the team. It was really a tough period for him uh, being out and away. You know, he, he's improved and certainly uh, it's not the same as, but, you know, Marcus Coker didn't get off to the fastest start because he missed a lot of time in August. And I think, you know, certainly with Brad, we're seeing him improve each and every week. And ha having him out there gives us a, another good player and another, you know, really good guy. He's a... Uh, not that he's played all that much. Brett Morris has been our fullback, but he's been around, and I think he's got a lot of confidence. And uh, I would classify him. He's one of our younger guys that really kind of brings a good vibe to our football team. So yeah, he does a little bit more besides block. He just really adds a real positive energy. Also has done a good job on our punt team, which is a real important role. And, uh, you know, it was good to get him back on that front, too. That was really the first thing he started doing when he got back. Ference talks about the run-pass balance in the Iowa offense at this point in the season. The no-huddle really got born out of the fact that we were down three scores. So it's kind of an obvious choice at that point. And then I thought, I thought overall the offense played well Saturday. You know, they, uh, had, we had to be balanced. Felt like we had to be balanced. That was a really tough team to move the ball against. So I think, you know, I think we're making some strides right now. And uh, having guys healthy helps. And, uh, you know, having guys having a chance to be balanced. Not that you're going to be balanced every game, but having an opportunity to be balanced is a good thing. Kirk talks about the return of Tom Nardo and his defensive line. Well, you know, we get one back and we lose one outside. So, you know, we'll just have to keep adjusting. Yeah, obviously, you know, Dominic will not be with us this week or the rest of the season, so that, that's out of the equation. The good news is everybody else is, I think, uh, uh, back with us. And you know, Carl Davis uh, was close to being 100% last week. Last week, but you know, he hasn't—he's barely played. I mean, he's still a young guy who's barely played. But at least we'll have somebody to practice with, so we're not just wearing everybody out. So that, that's a positive, and you know, at least if we can have a good week of practice, we'll see what we can throw out there Saturday. Ference was asked whether this year's senior class, which makes its last appearance at Kinnick Stadium, has a storyline yet. Yeah, I don't know if we have a story yet. It, it's kind of weird because, you know, we, we still have three games uh, going into senior day. Usually, you know, you, you only have one left, so we'd be a little further down the road. But th this group's, uh, you know, they've been fun to work with, certainly, and uh, it's a mixed bag. You've got guys like, uh, you know, Mike Daniels, Tara Nielsen, that are, are uh, Zeus of Vicks that have, you know, played here the last couple of years, and then you've got other guys like Nardo or Bernstein that have jumped in there late, you know, so it's kind of a mixed bag of guys, but they're, they're really a good group, and they've, they've, uh, it's not the biggest class that we've had, certainly, but their attitude has really, really been good, and they've been uh, really good to work with since January. And Coach Ferentz provides his thoughts on the Big Ten and the division races at this point in the season you know it's, it's always been competitive now I guess the, the big you know I mean I'm not the smartest guy in the world but I have noticed now there's twice as much competition if you will or two two different things to look at or consider I, I, I suppose uh, but at the end of the day you know uh, I'll predict this it's probably going to go down to the last week like like it pretty much has every year or at least the next to last week you know maybe some things got decided uh, before that but that's that's a great thing about conference plan that's uh I guess we're going to learn, you know, the great thing about divisional play. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's good to win, it's bad to lose, and that's, that's really how it is in college football. Next, we hear from Michigan State's head coach, Mark D'Antonio, who talks about what he sees out of his quarterback, Kirk Cousins, when he's struggling versus when he's playing well. I think, first of all, it's a team football game, so uh, obviously pressure has a lot to do with it. I'm turning, talking about physical presence pressure if we can protect our quarterback um, obviously our quarterback's going to play much better so that's that's usually been the case when we when we have been able to protect him you know good things happen if he gets pressured um, you know it's tough it's a tougher tougher sledding for him so 
that's how I would I would respond to that question. I think he's done an outstanding job. Uh, but again, it's a team football game. You know, there's there's no person out there. Obviously, the quarterback has a lot to do with what's going on. But but everybody has to run the route route the correct route. Everybody has to block the correct people uh, relative to the blocking protection that we have on. And uh, you know, we've got to be able to run the ball sometimes uh, to keep balance so that we're we're able to you know keep people off balance a little bit. And uh, you know, that also helps. D'Antonio assesses this year's Iowa team. Well, first of all, you know, uh, playing at Iowa City is a difficult challenge. Uh, historically, uh, they've been a, you know, very good running football team. You know, offensive line, very good. Defensively, they've been difficult to, to deal with. They've got a great, they're playing great in the red zone on the defensive side of the ball and pretty well offensively. Uh, quarterbacks and uh, is a uh, passing yardage is you know i think number three in the in the conference mcnutt their wide receiver poses a, a huge challenge for us big bodied receiver had nine catches last week for over 100 yards and closing in on a thousand yards as a receiver i think he has 850 with three games to go and, and then coker is their leading rusher and you know with, i think 1100 yards he leaves the conference and then uh you know they have six guys back on the defensive side of the ball and certainly bins and daniels are two guys that up front that that have played a lot of football and played very good football for them. And then their corners, Hyde and, uh, and Prater, are, are excellent. And, you know, they've got some experience at linebacker as well. So um, Coach Ferentz has been there a long time, so he's got a system, just like I just talked about. There's a system in place, and they do what they do, and uh, they don't make a lot of mistakes, and they don't beat themselves. D'Antonio was asked how much of a rivalry these games with Iowa have become, including when it comes to recruiting. Well, you know, it's it's a game that uh, you know we didn't play very well last last year in it, but prior to that, the three years we've been here, they've been very close, and really the game was won on the last play of the game, very, or very near in the three in the three times prior to that. So, I think in terms of a rivalry game, we have a great deal of respect for how Iowa goes about their business, and when you come into a, um, a conference such as we did when I first came back here as the head football coach, you. You know, you look at people and you try and emulate some of the things that they've done. And you look and say, hey, they've got some of the same challenges that we have. This is how they did it. And I think that Coach Ferentz's uh, football program is, is, is one that we've tried to say, hey, let's be like them a little bit. And so that's what we've tried to do. So there's a great amount of respect in terms of how they play the game. We compete against them for players. Um, you know, more often than not, probably in a lot of ways. I mean, they're active in the Michigan area. Uh, you know we're active. You know they've traditionally recruited players from out um, in the, on, from out east sometimes. So you know we're out there as well. Uh, so uh, there's been guys that that um, that they've recruited. You know they recruit in Ohio as well. So there's guys that that um, have opportunities to go to either school. And uh, so we, we you know we face them on the recruiting field as well. Coach D'Antonio talks about what goes into his preparation for Big Ten road games like this Saturday's. Well, there's been a lot of talk about that lately, you know. So, you know, we're try we we try and do different things, and uh, you know, we look this we critique everything that we do. So, you know, after the football game, we ask ourselves, was that the right thing to do in terms of how we um, prepared a team, whether it was home or aware or or away. When you go out to Iowa City, there's some drive time, there's some flight time you have to deal with. There's so. You know, you're pretty much dealing, you're not just getting on a bus and going, you know, there's preparation here or preparation there. We have to make decisions on where we do what. But to me, as much as anything, it's how are we going to be emotionally 
as we go into the game and how are we going to be emotionally when we start hitting the adverse situations because they're going to come but it's important that we be able to play through that storm that's what, that'll be our focus and d'antonio was asked how perplexing his team's performance was last year in iowa city a lot of expectations going in we were the fifth ranked team in the nation we were undefeated we got out to a slow start we turned the ball over we've had some things happen um you know, to us defensively as well uh, with some big plays against us. So, you know, it just, you know, at the end of the first quarter, I think it was 17 nothing. So it just it just sort of spun out of control. And uh, you know, it's not what we want, obviously, but again, it's about playing through the storm. We've got to be able to do that and handle it. And, uh, you know, sometimes those things happen. It's happened to us before in the past. You know, we were playing against Penn State in 08 and this, for the championship to be co-champions on the last game of the year and the same exact thing happened. So we got to be able to deal with it and before you can uh, deal with it, you have to accept it and realize that it happened and then you've got to try and change it. But we've been in this situation before. Our experience should help in that area and uh, we need to obviously play much, much better if we're going to be successful. Hawkeye's Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. Looking ahead to Saturday's game, the Hawkeyes host number 13-ranked Michigan State this Saturday at Kinnick Stadium. Iowa is 6-3 after last week's upset over Michigan and is tied for second in the Legends Division at 3-2. Michigan State sits atop the Legends Division at 4-1 and 7-2 overall. Their only losses coming against Notre Dame and Nebraska. They have big wins over Wisconsin and Ohio State as well as the Wolverines. Saturday at Kinnick Stadium, is the blackout game, plus it's senior day for Iowa's graduating players. A win is a must if the Hawkeyes are to stay in the hunt for the Legends Division title and a spot in the Big Ten's first-ever championship game. If the Hawkeyes win out, they can achieve that goal with the head-to-head tiebreakers over the Spartans, Nebraska, and Michigan. This will be the 43rd meeting between the two schools. Iowa leads the all-time series 22-18-2 and has won the last two games and four of the last five. The last Spartans win in Iowa City came all the way back in 1989. In games played at Kinnick, the Hawks lead the series 13-8-1. Kirk Ferentz is in his 16th year as a head coach, his 13th at Iowa, where his record is 95-63. Mark D'Antonio is in his 5th year as MSU's head coach with a record of 40-21. D'Antonio is 1-3 versus Iowa. A couple of other interesting notes, Iowa defensive coordinator Norm Parker coached at Michigan State for 12 seasons, and Iowa's defensive backs coach Phil Parker played for the Spartans, earning first-team All-Big Ten honors from 1983 to 85. Part two of our reporter's notebook this week features Mark Morehouse. You can read Mark's articles in the Gazette and online at thegazette.com. Mark previews the Iowa-Michigan State game. Mark, the Iowa-Michigan State series has become pretty intense the last few years, generally close, hard-hitting games, and now yeah. rivals off the field recruiting as well. Yeah, you read the story I'm writing. Look at all the names it has with. I mean, Jack Allen, offensive lineman, uh, Darian Cooper, I, Isaiah Lewis, who 
is a tremendous strong safety. Iowa offered him. He went to Michigan State. Denikos Allen, a linebacker. Iowa offered him. He went to Michigan State. And both both those guys matter. Will have a large role for Michigan State defense Saturday. And then Iowa has, you know, Iowa's won a few battles. Dar- Darian Cooper, defensive lineman. Uh, there was some there was some funky business going on with that one. And then uh, I met Mickey on McCall. Iowa won that one. And uh, uh, yeah, they, 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 uh, they're a very competitive program because they play similar styles and they recruit similar grounds. I mean, Iowa goes into Michigan, Iowa goes into Ohio, and, and uh, D'Antonio obviously has big-time ties in Ohio. He coached Cincinnati before he came to Michigan State, so he's, uh, he's connected there. And these teams, yeah, the last two years, <laughs> Iowa suffered uh, two pretty serious concussions in this game the last couple of years. Uh, Colin Salmon was out for four minutes in 2009. Not a lot of people know that, but he was knocked out clean for four whole minutes. And while D'Antonio sort of argued the call over his motionless body, I think that one kind of caused the Iowa program's eye. And then uh, last year, uh, Adam Robinson basically sidetracked his entire career, at least at Iowa, concussion. And, uh, and then, of course, Marvin to Darrell at the end of the game. It didn't. It didn't touch down, but uh, that was a that was a pretty icy little handshake they had after the game there, uh, Terrence and uh, Antonio. Well, yeah, and Michigan State's gaining the reputation for playing a little chippy and, frankly, downright dirty. I mean, think back to the, the Michigan game earlier this right. year. Right. Yeah. Well said, John. And I think now that that's been called, I think you won't see much of that anymore. I think once that is called, that that then. Uh, there's, they know what line they can't cross, and I think that kind of freezes some of that stuff. But you know, you never know. Once it's out there, you just, you kind of, you never know. I mean, there's an unne- unnecessary roughness factor to the game that I would say right now on its face that uh, favors Michigan State just because you know they're they're the more proven team. I mean, they've beaten you know they've beaten Michigan, Iowa match that, but uh, Michigan State's also beaten Wisconsin and and at Ohio State, so. This is a more proven team, and they've done it just by pure physicality in my mind. That they're nothing fancy in offense. Their numbers are, are kind of pedestrian. I think Kirk Cousins is a very good quarterback. And the wide receivers, uh, B.J. Cunningham and Keyshawn Martin, are very, very talented. Probably the top couple of the top two in the Big Ten right there with Marvin and Keenan. And, uh, but other than that, they're just brutal you know, brutal marauders on defense. And, you know, it starts up front with Terrell Worthy. I think he's a terrific player. He's going to be in the NFL next year, probably. Now, given the recent history in the series, even dating back to the Hayden Fry years, these games typically have been very close, hard fought. Last year's game in Iowa City, kind of a fluke, in no small part because Cousins comes back to his home state and really struggled in that game. Yeah, I don't know what you think, but... Uh... Yeah, maybe there's sort of a blind spot there. Maybe he just kind of short circuits. D'Antonio made the uh, put the media or uh, put the players uh, off the media schedule this week, so uh, there was no media access to players. And uh, Joe Rexroad, who covers the Spartans pretty heavily for the um, East Lansing paper, the uh, East Lansing State Journal, believed that was because of Cousins. He was kind of protecting Cousins and his psyche and uh, trying to limit the amount of pressure he might feel going into a game like this because uh, if you look at Michigan State's schedule, they win this game. Uh, it's, uh, I believe it's uh, Northwestern and Indiana left. So they get over Iowa. They're going to the Big Ten title game. You have to think after what Iowa did to them last year in Kinnick and then the year before uh, with the Marvin McNutt catch, as game expired, that the Spartans have to be coming into this one with little revenge in their minds. 
Yeah, I, mean, I don't know how long that'll play because it doesn't really block or tackle. But um, if you look at what Iowa took from them last year, I mean, Iowa sent them out of Iowa City with a sixth loss, and uh, that took them. Sure, yeah, they finished 11 and one, which is an amazing season. Any team would take that. But Michigan State's 11 and one got them in the Capital One Bowl, which is the the Big Ten door prize when you have uh, three teams finish 11 and one. And uh, Michigan State ended up going to the Capital One Bowl, a bowl it probably didn't really want to go to, and it ended up getting whooped by Alabama 49-7. You know, they narrowly missed out on going to their first major bowl. The last time they were to a quote-unquote BCS bowl, there wasn't really BCS bowls yet. It was 1988 in the Rose Bowl. So, you know, they were kind of looking to break through that ceiling, and uh, the loss at Iowa City completely stunned that. So they capital one and they played the Sabans and they uh, they paid the price. What's your overall assessment of this of the Michigan State team at this point? You alluded earlier to their big wins over Wisconsin and Ohio State yet they had kind of an embarrassing stumble at Nebraska and they struggled last week at home against Minnesota. Yeah, they uh, they're still, you know, they have a first year offensive coordinator, uh, Dan Rauscher. I think he tried to get a little too cutesy at uh, Nebraska and throwing uh, deep into a two deep coverage when really uh, Northwestern solved Nebraska last week just kind of run right at him and, you know, use a little deception and get, get him a little uh, conflict of assignment and uh, there goes, they open up. Uh, I think Michigan State kind of overthought it and ended up, you know, losing 24-3. Didn't really fire a shot out there. They, they're just, a, they're a team that when it's, when it's focused is, is just a handful to deal with and uh, they're a team that also just has, has lapses that it just can't seem to snap out of. And the Notre Dame game was really just like a complete anomaly. And then the Nebraska game was also an anomaly, just uh, kind of where they can't really seem to get the engine started. I don't know where that is. I know D'Antonio is very attuned to the team's uh, psyche and very much into you know where emotion, how emotion can play and uh, monitors that pretty closely. At least he talked about things like that during the Big Ten teleconference this week. So, uh, you know, where will they be, you know, coming into Iowa City? I'm sure they're going to be psyched up, but, you know, it's it's one thing to be psyched up, and it's another thing to be prepared to be punched in the face. You know, can Iowa deliver that punch? I don't know, but, uh, you know, sometimes when teams are psyched up and they get matched, and then, then they wonder, okay, what else do we have? And, you know, sometimes there's no answer. These teams are close to mirror images of each other in terms of offensive and defensive schemes, and there's some pretty interesting matchups this Saturday. Let me throw three at you, and you can pick and mm-hmm. choose any or all of them. Iowa's 17th in the nation, meaning Vandenberg in pass efficiency, while Michigan State's 7th in pass efficiency defense. Coker leads the Big Ten in rushing with his 122.3 yard per game average. Michigan State's 17th in the nation in rushing defense. They only give up 103.5 per game. And the Hawks are 7th in the nation in fewest turnovers. And the Spartans come into this game on Saturday tied for 9th in interceptions. Yeah, I think the marquee matchup is uh, Iowa's offense against Michigan State's defense. You have two of the two of the better or more more efficient units in the conference up there. Uh, Michigan State is all about destruction, and I I really think I mean they have Drell Worthy. He's probably an NFL player. I think Danico Salon is an NFL player. Uh, a couple of other defensive linemen, uh, William Goldson, Marcus Rush, the ends, they might be NFL players. Kevin Pickleman might be an NFL player, the nose guard. And then uh, I think for sure the, uh, the safety, Isaiah Lewis, is an is a NFL player. So you look at that, and you've got, they've got a defense that's on, on par with what Iowa had in 2008, 2009. You know, a bunch of guys going to the NFL. Uh, Iowa's going to have to beat that with James Vandenberg, who still is a first-year starter. 
uh, Coker, who's really just turned it on the last four weeks, and uh, Marvin McDonald has been there all year. And uh, if he if he comes out with numbers on Saturday, his name will be at the top of every list of uh, Iowa wide receivers and records. So uh, I think Iowa has a pretty decent trio there. It's not like quite the Dallas Cowboys yet, you know, with Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, and Michael Irvin, but it's uh, it's developing and, and, and it's getting good and it's getting efficient and it's moving to change a little bit. With Iowa, though, I believe the hard part. Saturday will be short yarded. And if you go back to the Michigan game, there were 12 instances where Iowa need Iowa had a second and six or better, and they only converted a four out of 12 of those. Now maybe that's maybe that's pretty average, but uh, there were a couple of third and ones in the fourth quarter that if they convert those third and ones, then they don't need the big goal line staying at the end. They don't need to be uh, sweating bullets and needing defibrillators on the sideline. So the short yarders can take care of a lot of the problems. And, you know, it tells me that if Iowa wins the short yardage type of game, then uh, they're they're beating Michigan State at Michigan State's game and Michigan State starts a short circuit. Now, Iowa got back to its really balanced approach on offense last week against Michigan. I assume that's what you expect to see this Saturday as well, or at least a try at it. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I I believe that Iowa believes it has to run the ball to win this game and to kind of uh, make, you know, make Spartans start to kind of think on on defense. So, uh, I think I will try to run. It'll try to keep Vandenberg from having to carry the weight because you know he's going to get uh, blitz in this game. He's going to feel pressure. Uh, Michigan State might be the, one of the few. I think Michigan State and Penn State are the only really two. Maybe, maybe Ohio State, who have uh, right now one of those defensive lines where uh, they don't have to do a lot. They just get to, they play four guys across and they, they pressure the quarterback and they stop the run. Uh, Michigan State is definitely in that mode. Vandenberg's going to see some pressure. He's going to see some uh, different type of blitz and stuff that he hasn't seen all year. So uh, I think I will try to protect that. Uh, and if they can, if they can, you know, inch the ball along a little bit, and then maybe you know get the running game going, that's probably the best chance. Because I think Iowa defense against Michigan State offense, I don't think it's a decided. You know, I, I think it's probably a win on rounds for Michigan State. I, I think Michigan State is a little more proven and has a little more firepower. And uh, Iowa's defense obviously is down another defensive lineman, and that's just a take in the shin. They don't really need going into the. Yeah, it's a recurring theme again. Just going back to the offense for a second, with are we ever going to see any backup running backs? And Kirk admitted Tuesday at his press conference that it was his decision to just keep Coker in there and and not even bring anyone or McCall back in. Now. He also said that the decision's definitely been made. They're not going to redshirt McCall. He's completely recovered from his injury. It's a big game, and they have a running back who's leads the Big Ten in rushing, and he's averaging, uh, in the last four weeks, he's averaging over 160 yards a game and 26 and a half carries a game. Now, that said, uh, Iowa hasn't faced Michigan State the last four weeks. But uh, you go back to what McCall did, that was against Tennessee Tech. You look back and see what he did, yeah, that's great, um, but that was against uh, a, a, a CS team. So a little different stakes this week, and Iowa has a running back that, uh, to me, I think Coker is one of those backs, one of those few backs who gets, seems to get stronger as the game goes along. And to me, that uh, that speaks volumes for the kid. He, he started slow, injured out of camp, shoulder injury out of camp started slow, but uh, he's got it rolling now, and and, he's, and you know Farron, if he has a chance to ride a hot hand, especially at running back, he's going to do it. You know, everybody can, you know, wring their hands about, okay, well, maybe they, now they redshirt McCall, well, you know, we'll see what happens this game. Maybe they need him, maybe they don't, but, uh, or the rest of the season, maybe they need him, maybe they don't, but I think that uh, 
Iowa has a pretty good running back, and I, I don't think I can sweat number two. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, except in a game like this where Michigan State's going to play a pretty physical defense, mm-hmm. you do worry about how much pounding he can take, yeah. depending on how many runs he gets. So. Well, yeah, obviously if he has to come out of the game, he'll, he'll come out of the game. Uh, I think Iowa... I think Iowa coaches are smart enough to, to kind of ride that wave. You know, if he gets dinged or if he gets if it's either the fatigue factor, then uh, I think he comes out. But he's also, you know, he's their horse right now and they're riding him. The defense, again, uh, not facing a quarterback this week who's going to be running all over the place. Uh, you know, it's not a Denard Robinson and they're not, they don't run the well, spread offense. So at least you would think going into this game containment wouldn't be quite the issue it's been for the Iowa defense in some other contests. Well, you know, there's two different times kind of containment. I mean, there's containing the quarterback, which I don't, you know, I don't see Cousins beating Iowa to his feet, but there's also containing the running game on the edge, and uh, Michigan State can be pretty good at that. Uh, their offensive line, they've really kind of rebuilt it twice this year. They, uh, they had, they had to replace both tackles and center coming out of last year. And then this year they lost uh, two, of, two of those replacements to season any injuries, although Blake Treadwell seems to be kind of pointed north of center and might be back. So they've kind of rebuilt their offensive line a couple times. Uh, it's not optimum, but it's, it's getting better. And it's to the point now where I think what I will really have to be careful with here is uh, if Michigan State gets that running game going and gets, you know, chugging full steam ahead right at Iowa. That is the one, you know, the Penn State game is the one I can go back to. That is really the Iowa's defense's worst game of the season, and there was really no other move after Michigan State, or after Penn State said, okay, we're going to run at you. Iowa couldn't get, you know, couldn't stop it, just couldn't stop it. And if that, if that truck starts rolling Saturday, it's going to be a long day. How big of a loss do you think Elvis is? They got some other people back, and the rest of the defense appears to be healthier than it's been in a while. Yeah, Elvis is playing really well. I think uh, he needed to be out there to keep building that resume, and because they'll get two more years, they would have got, they will get two more years out of him. But it would have been better two years with him not having a torn ACL. Obviously, I don't think there's a huge drop off of LeBron Daniel. But what happens is there's another guy who's out of the rotation. And this defensive line desperately needs to have a rotation going, and uh, they're really going to miss him. I mean, there's, there's no way around it. I mean, the next guy in after after him after LeBron Daniels, Joe Ford, he who is a nice player. Uh, I love his energy. He's really built his body up since he arrived, but he is a walk-on and he is a JUCO transfer who has one of those things that uh, offensive linemen wear on their knee on his elbow. He's had it there for a long time, so he, he's you know he's an effort player, but. Uh, you know, he, he, there's a reason why Alvis is out there and he wasn't. So uh, I think Iowa is in danger uh, on the defensive line even more than they have been. But you know what? Uh, it seems like when the chips have been down the most is when the, that unit has responded. And they'll have, a, they'll have their chance this week to really stand up and say something in this game. And, you know, and I think that everyone will see if they do or don't. Do you really think this team is not aware of what's on the line in terms of its chances to stay in the race for the Big Ten championship game? I mean, Kirk says it's only focused on next week's game and, you know, so forth. We're used to his answers all the time, but it's hard to believe the team isn't aware of this. Oh, I'm sure they're aware of it, but uh, they're, I'm sure they're also aware that uh, the season isn't over after Saturday. There's two more games on the road. The Nebraska game is going to be hell on wheels, and uh, Purdue is a place where Iowa has a, Iowa is one in four since 1998 there. So it's 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 not over. 
Saturday is another step and cliche uh, city. But if they don't look at it that way, then they're idiots. I mean, Sharon said it on Saturday. It's stupid. It'd be stupid to put too much into this game. If you're Michigan State, on the other hand, and you look at what they have ahead of them, there's a lot in this game. I mean, they're almost home free. Yep. Our weekly question, who are you thinking the key offensive and defensive players will be for Iowa? I think on defense, I'm going to go with corners, uh, Micah Hyde and Sean Prater. I believe Iowa is really going to have to commit to stopping the run, and that means uh, safeties Tanner Miller and Jordan Bernstein are going to have to be in the box somewhere, very within 10 yards off of the uh, line of scrimmage. So I think that these, uh, I think Iowa's corners will be locked up man to man against very good wide receivers, and those those battles will be very noticeable either way. On offense, I think uh, I think Iowa's offensive line has to. Really, I mean, collectively, I mean, they, they need to have their best game. And it's been getting better incrementally, uh, week to week. But uh, this week, they're facing athletes that they haven't faced uh, since Penn State. Uh, William Goldson and Marcus Rush have really made a difference. I mean, they're terrific players. Everybody hears about Worthy. Those two guys are really uh, have to be accounted for, especially especially on the end. I think Goldson and uh, Riley Reef is, is going to be a fun matchup. Prediction. Uh, I'm thinking Michigan State 28-24. I just think that they're a more proven team. That they, you know, the wins they have in their resume, that the fire, that the cold, the, the hot cold that team has walked through, a little more substantial than what Iowa's seen. Iowa had a great win last week, and uh, whenever you beat Michigan, it's, it's a good thing. But you know, Michigan State has beaten Wisconsin and beat and won at Ohio State, and uh, it's a hardened team. And uh, I don't believe the revenge factor really matters in this game. I just think. Uh, Michigan State has advantages here in just the, the physical, raw power of football that both these teams like to play. I just think that Michigan, has, that Michigan State has that check mark this year. I love you all. <laughs> Gardner in trouble and sack. He got rid of it at the last second, but they're going to roll him down back at the 28-yard line. Penalty flag down, so they may call grounding here. Should have just taken the sack. He was going down anyway, threw the ball, nobody in the area, nowhere near the line of scrimmage, that's grounded. And again, Benz, who's playing a heck of a game, there's no spark or no energy without Bernard Robinson in that football game, so they got to find out if he can hold a football and throw it. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. Also, check out the game photos and video highlights of Iowa games, other Big Ten action, and teams across the country. Just click on the video tab. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts Podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette and the Hawkeye. And listen to Brent Balbinot on Hawkeyes Mike and on the Balbinot and Brommel Camp Show weekdays 4 to 7 p.m. on KGYM AM 1600, ESPN Sports Radio in Cedar Rapids, and at KGYMRadio.com. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. And we'll never, never, ever, ever, ever leave each other. We're the best three friends that anybody could have. I mean the three best friends that anybody could have. That's right, the three best friends. 
Hawkeye's Mike Football Shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Our thanks again to ESPN for the game highlights this week, and thanks to our contributors, Susan Dank, Mark Morehouse, and Rob Patchett. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard in our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.